Good morning. It's good to see each of you this Lord's Day. Well, the worst thing that can happen is to get, for me, is to get under the weather and not be able to gather with God's people. I missed being here with you all desperately last Lord's Day, but uh, definitely glad and thankful to the Lord to be back. Well, this morning we're going to take, um, and perhaps next week, we may take, uh, just deviate just a bit from our study through the book of Daniel. Um, not certain about next week yet, but for, but for sure this week you can tell we're t- deviating from the book of Daniel. Going to look at um, a, a, a message that's within our value series on Christian community. And I want to open up this morning by taking, to, taking you to a passage in 1 Peter that speaks directly to local church elders. If you have your copy of God's Word, or you can see here on the overhead from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. Peter says here, he says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, while I could say several things about this passage, the one thing I will say this morning is that elders are called of God, as we see right here at the beginning of verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God among you. Elders. We are to be shepherding the flock of God and That work of shepherding is an active work. It's an active work of spurring the children of God on to love and good deeds. Of spurring the children of God in their spiritual growth into conformity of Jesus Christ. Such is the work of shepherding, shepherding the flock of God for local church pastors. Now some might say that elders have a tough task. And perhaps you need no look no further than your own heart and perhaps your own life to understand sometimes the challenge and the difficulty of that. We are called to purposefully help each of you grow spiritually. That's why a local church exists. That's why we have elders. We are to shepherd the flock of God among us, to help you grow up spiritually, to help you make the right application of God's word in every area of your life. We're to come alongside and we're to give counsel and encouragement and exhortation. Hebrews 13, 17 even tells us that elders will someday give an account to God for their shepherding over your soul. Now imagine the the trepidation that that puts us in. Notice right here, it says, For they obey your leaders and submit to them, for they, referring to the elders of local churches, keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. It seems that the clear implication here in this passage is that 
Shepherds have a responsibility of watching over the souls within the church of God, Christ, brothers and sisters, and we will be giving an account to God for how we shepherded your soul. Now, it does say right here, uh, if you're paying attention, it says, let, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So there's a, um, a sense here where uh, we are, we're, in, we're in, st in step with one another in this process. But imagine, um, put yourself in the shoes of elders who will give an account to God for your soul and how they shepherded your soul in helping you grow into Christ's likeness. And as such, the elders of Jinx Bible Church are committed to seeing each person in this flock of God connected to and growing with other believers and most specifically, through our life groups. One of our JBC values, as I mentioned earlier here, is that of Christian community. And the way we've worded that, it says, we are committed to one another as God's family to grow. And when it says that right there, that's not numeric growth within the church. The elders at Jinx Bible Church, when we sit down and we talk, we never try to strategize ways to grow more numbers within the church, ever. The only thing we oftentimes talk about and pray about with regard to growth is spiritual growth over the people of God. We want to see each of you flourishing in Christ Jesus, living the abundant life that he gave his life to you in order that you could live and walk in. Amen? We're committed to one another as God's family to grow in authentic biblical community. We are a covenant community cultivating love, unity, and fellowship in our Sunday weekly and life group, where my focus is going to be primarily this morning, life group gatherings. Well, I want to show you one of the principles behind this. You might notice, you probably have noticed, almost, if not every single week, like I did today, when I get up to do announcements, what do I talk about? Life groups. Almost every single week, I reiterate life groups, and it's in the bulletin, life groups. Reach out, there's the name, there's the number, it's the place to be, it's, and I've, for three years, almost every single week, I don't know if I've missed a week or not, I've promoted life groups. Notice a, a principle here as to why we continue doing this. In Proverbs 29.18, a biblical principle here from the Proverbs, it says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now, notice what happens to people or to individual lives when that life isn't practically governed by the word of God. It says that they are unrestrained. They are deprived of moral restraint. Some translations say they perish. Clearly, life lived apart from a practical application of God's word leaves people to their own intuitive wisdom as to how to make life work. Now, how desperately frustrating that must be. Think about it. I mean, trying over and over and again and again to make life work according to the wisdom of man. Many of us have fallen prey to that. Many of us know firsthand the, the realities and the challenges of trying to make life work according to our own wisdom. If you've been married <clears throat> for any time, 
if you've been married any time at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen? That's not enough. Come on. Now I know you're lying. You've gone from, you know, I've gone from preaching to meddling here. I know that. But listen, if you've been married, Tate's been married not very long, but amen, Tate? All right, thank you. See, listen, we try to make life work oftentimes according to our own wisdom, and we've learned so many times that if we'll just keep it simple and do things the way God says, we can actually taste and see that God is good, that his ways are right. But yet we fall prey to this. And again, how frustrating that is in trying to do that. But notice again at the very end of verse 18, notice what it says here about those who strive to keep the word of God, but happy, happy is he who keeps the law. Happy is the person who keeps the law of God. Another way to think of it is happy is the person who makes right application of God's word in their daily living. You want to be happy? Man, Joel Olstein sure wants you to be happy. You can be happy by making right application of God's word in your daily living. It doesn't say that your circumstances are going to be great. As a matter of fact, your circumstances may be pretty difficult and challenging and painful. But man, in making the right application of God's word, even in that context, you can find your soul flourishing in Christ Jesus and you can be Asher at soul. You can be happy in your soul knowing that you're living before God and you're pleasing him in all things. Happy is he who keeps God's law. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Do you think that God's word calls us to do this on our own in isolation from other brothers and sisters in Christ? Of course not. Notice Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, very familiar passage. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And, and not only that, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. And this is another way of saying stop missing church. As have some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, notice this word right here, and let us <clears throat> consider. Let us consider. This word consider here comes to us by the way of this Greek word right here. Let me take a quick swig. I apologize. This is the most talking I've done in a week. And now all of a sudden it's all breaking loose. This is our word that we get consider. Kata noeo. Check this out. And this is from Luanita, our Greek lexicon, English lexicon. To give very careful consideration to some matter. To think about very carefully. 
to consider closely. Okay, you with me? And not only holding to our faith, verse 23, and let us consider. Let us give very careful consideration to something, to think very carefully about something close to the heart that of how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is why verse 25, we don't miss church. This is why verse 25, we we need to be assembling together. It's so that when we are together, see us, when we're together, we are to give serious consideration to some things about how we live life together as the body of Christ. Now, notice this other word right here, uh, stimulate. This word stimulate. It's from this Greek word. And it's a word, it's again from Luaunita. It says, markers of a causative relation. In other words, it's, it's that which marks something in relation that's, that, that's causative in nature. It's, it's not a benign thing. It's an active thing. That's why it goes on with the implication, what's clearly implied with the implication of stimulating, of stirring, a change, a change in motivation, a change in attitude to cause. And sometimes it's also translated encouragement. And encouragement, when you're encouraging somebody, what are you in essence doing? You are giving them courage. Courage to do something differently than what they have been doing. Thus thus you are encouraging them. You're trying to cause them. You're stimulating them to have a change of motivation or attitude. And we see even from the Luau Nida, we see here that they use our passage, this Hebrews 10, 24 passage. And then they give us the Greek portion of it right here, and then they pick up with a translation. And let us be concerned with one another in order to encourage love and good works or to cause people to love and to do good. It's causative. It's a a causative relation. There's a stirring that goes on. So again, notice this passage. Yes, verse 23, we're to hold fast our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and faithful is is he who promised. And the other thing that the body of Christ is to do is we are to be together. Let us give consideration, and this is why we don't forsake our assembling together. We are to give serious consideration. We're to think, as this word said, carefully. We are to give careful consideration to some matter, and the matter here is the matter of love and deeds within the body of Christ. We are to give careful consideration of that, and thus we are to stir people up in such a way that would cause them, one another, stimulate one another, the interactive relationships that brothers and sisters are to have in Christ with each other, it's to cause us to greater love and good deeds within the body of Christ and for the Lord Jesus and the glory of the gospel. 
Isn't that good? So stop forsaking your assembling together, as is the habit of some. But encourage each other all the more. And why are we doing this considering and this stimulating purposely? It's because we know the day is drawing near. We know the day of Christ is near. Christ is wanting a bride purified, set apart, more, refi more refined. And so we have the blessed opportunity to do that within the context of relationships within the body of Christ. So again, this morning we're going to talk about the ongoing commitment we have in each other's lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are, as such, a part of the family of God. We are a part of a local church, and we are called to be authentic in biblical community with each other and to spur each other, to stimulate one another on to love and good deeds. This is what we might refer to as progressive sanctification. We have a commitment to each other in that regard. Now, one of my favorite all-time passages, as you've heard me make mention of this on many occasions, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And it has reference to these realities. Notice verse 12, it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Paul tells the Philippian believers, and the Word of God tells us, that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For, verse 13, we need never forget, it's because it's, it, it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, in the passage, what immediately catches my attention is the reality that once God saves me, there's some work that he's expecting me to do. And this is why it says to those who are saved, as it says to those who are saved, that we need to be at work, working something out. It never says anywhere that we need to work for our salvation. It says we need to work out something. We need to work out our salvation. God is the one who gives salvation. We must never confuse justification and sanctification. The work of sanctification always is that which follows justification. Justification is the Christian's legal position before God. It's the work of God. It's what God has done. It's the moment that you were born again when God justified you freely because of what his son Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross of Calvary. And you looked unto Christ alone and you repented of your sins and you turned only and unto him exclusively. Christ alone. Faith alone. And God brought you the free righteousness of his son. He imputed that to your account. You're legally just before God because of his son Jesus Christ. When we study the book of Romans, we saw this very plainly in Romans chapters 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. In 6 4, notice it says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that, there's a reason why. As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And it's this process of learning how to walk in newness of life. That process is what we refer to as progressive sanctification. 
That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2.12. We are continually learning how to work out our salvation or to walk in newness of life. And we need to be doing that in the context of an authentic biblical community. We were never called to do that in isolation as if there's this idea of the Christian maverick that's out there all alone making it happen. We always see in the word of God that we are to do this in the context of the local church with God's people. Because where better are we going to find help in the ongoing process of battling sin and becoming more like Jesus Christ than with others who are desiring to battle sin in order to look more like Jesus Christ. We're not going to find that out there in the world somewhere, but we ought to find that within the house of God, within the church of the living God. Amen? This is why... Again, verse 13 reminds us of something very important about this work of progressive sanctification. There is a God who saves, justifies, and there is a God who sanctifies. And, in, and not in this passage, but we also know there's a God who glorifies. The total work of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. All the work of God. God, for it's God who's at work in you. So we're at work working out our salvation, putting death the deeds of the flesh, living life with brothers and sisters in Christ, learning to walk in newness of life together. And all the while, God is at work in you. And notice, it says both to will and to work for his good Pleasure. So, if I were to ask you a simple question, what do you think God's good pleasure might be and look like in your life? How would you perhaps answer that? I heard somebody say Jesus. That's a great start. As a matter of fact, that's my next passage. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus. So Jesus was a great answer. What's his will and good pleasure in your life? It's for you to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Increased freedom from sin, increased resemblance to the character of Christ. Another one, John 15, 8. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Glorifying the Father through fruitful lives, live for the glory of his name, that is his good pleasure. It brings him much glory. And what the word of God clearly teaches is that God never intended for you to do all of this in isolation from other brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other. And this is why week after week after week after week, and I will continue week after week after week saying, if you're not yet in a life group, you need to be in a life group. Because I'm just going to tell you that Sunday mornings are crafted for singing and the exposition of scripture. It's difficult to get life on life 
and to get into real life and to real discipleship with one another on a Sunday morning. Sunday mornings were not crafted, nor were they really built for that. And so we break into smaller groups where we can get eyeball to eyeball and say, how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you killing sin or is sin killing you? Now, unfortunately, a lot of people get really uncomfortable with that idea. Man, I, I don't want people to know that I'm struggling with sin. Well, can I be, not, probably not the first, but can I be another in the chorus of voices that have said all that is is a voice of your adversary, the devil, that's a fiery dart, and you need to take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's nothing further from God's word and truth than a thought like that. The most spiritual of people are those who are able to get with other brothers and sisters in Christ and say, this is where I'm sinning, this is where I'm struggling, and I need you praying for me. Because we recognize that it's a battle out there. That's why the Bible refers to us as Christian soldiers. We tend to think of this all wrongly. We tend to think that we need to put up all of our best images so that people will know that we're really good Christians. <laughs> do we do that? Listen, we already know that you're really good Christians because God loves you with an everlasting love. And he who saved you, you will not slip from the hand of Jesus Christ. Your salvation is eternally secure. But there ain't one of us around that thinks that once you get saved, you somehow all of a sudden became perfected and that you're never going to sin. That would be the most illogical thought that any believer could ever have. And so we need to be set free from that arrow of lie from the adversary to think that we need to put up this front as if we've got it all together perfectly all the time within the body of Christ so others can think that we're spiritually mature. The spiritually mature among us are those who are seeking out biblical community and sharing lives with their lives with each other and saying, please pray for me in this area because I'm really struggling. That tells me there's greater spiritual maturity in that person's walk than one who just continues to pretend. We've got to change our thinking with regard to these matters. And biblical community is going to be the place that we can do that. In our Constitution, let me show you a definition <coughs> that we have there about, our, about how we view progressive sanctification. Notice it says progressive sanctification refers to the Christians increasing, and we believe it will be increasing, hence it's progressive, transformation into the character of Christ. Romans 8.29, being conformed into the image of Christ, his son, whereby the Christian wages war against the flesh. See, here's where you start working it out. Whereby the Christian wages war against the flesh in obedience to the word of God and by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who energizes the believer to live a holy life in conformity to the will of God. And what is God's will for you in Christ Jesus? What does the scripture actually say? Your sanctification. These resources, the word of God and the Holy Spirit are dispensed to Christians the moment of their salvation and so they are in no way required by God to seek a so-called second blessing or second work of grace. Characteristic of this sanctification is that it is synergistic. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. 
a cooperative effort between God and the Christian. Work it out. God's at work in you. In contradistinction to the work of salvation, which is monergistic, a work of God alone. Amen? Isn't that good? And this is why we, as 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 the elders at Jinx Bible Church, listen, we're going to give an account for your soul to God someday. We're trying to move you purposefully into relationship with other people who are going to help you increase your transformation into the character and image of Jesus Christ. And if we're negligent in that, we will give an account someday to God for it. Now, you've heard the old saying before, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? So I guess today might be the day that I'm really splashing water in the horse's, fla- in the horse's face. <laughs> That's what I'm doing today, right? So if you're feeling a little bit wet, you know why. Man, I'm coming after you hard this morning, am I not? But why am I coming hard after you? Is it for some selfish purpose? Absolutely not. It's so that your soul can flourish in Christ Jesus. And I know that your soul will flourish in Christ Jesus no better than when you're connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ, committed to being made into disciples of Jesus. I know that. How do I know that? Well, we read a passage today about wisdom, and herein is the wisdom of God, and this is exactly what it says. So I I splash all this water for the sole purpose of encouraging you to think, am I connected with God's people the way God's word would want me connected with God's people so that I can grow spiritually and I can encourage and stimulate them to grow spiritually, to love and good deeds. I have a biblical responsibility in the lives of other brothers and sisters' lives to stir them on to love and good deeds. That's what God's word calls me to. One commentator says it this way. I really like this. The first Christians of Acts 2 were not devoting themselves to social activities, but to a relationship. A relationship that consisted of sharing together the very life of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They understood that they had entered this relationship by faith in Jesus Christ, not by joining an organization. And they realized that their fellowship with God logically brought them into fellowship with one another. Through their union with Christ, they were formed into a spiritually organic community. We must grasp the idea that fellowship means belonging to one another in the body of Christ, along with all the privileges and responsibilities that such a relationship entails. Isn't that good? In other words, we we have a love relationship with each other, and we are committed to each other, Because we recognize that we are a peculiar people. And if you're not starting to sense in a greater degree in 2022 that we as Christians are a peculiar people. And we are holding to a peculiar word. The world looks at this as what? A peculiar word. That's why 2,000 years ago it says the unbelieving world will see this in, in your gospel as foolishness. Nothing has changed. Nothing new under 
the Son. Well, do you see this list right here? Here's a list of what we sometimes refer to as the one another verses in the scriptures. And if I were to ask you, what does this list show us with relation to progressive sanctification and with relation to how we are to work out our salvation and in context of the body of Christ? I think our minds would immediately turn to the, to the fact that Sunday mornings were not built for this. Now, this might be a little bit small. Is this a little small to see? Well, my apologies. Can't get it all, but I can, I can enlarge it that way. Sunday mornings were not built for this, but we are called to do these things one to another. Be at peace with each other. Be joined to one another. Honor one another. Weep with one another. Accept one another. And that would be in the context of a brother comes like James says. Where's James at? There's James somewhere over here. Man, it's hard for me to see it now. Right here. When James says confess your sins to one another, that's the one we hate the most. But then we tend to forget about Oh, and while they're doing that, we can weep with them because sin brings about death. And at the same time, we can go ahead and accept one another as we, are, as, we, as we ought to as brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's just a long list, and I could, I could go through this. I'm not going to, but we see very clearly that there's a plethora of verses, one another verses, caring for one another, verse 14, carrying one another's burdens. How do you, do you even know of burdens with anybody else within this local congregation do you even know what other people's burdens may even be in order to help carry them you see we have to purposefully as God's people move ourselves into authentic biblical community to start learning these things to find out these things how can I stimulate I need to consider I need to give serious consideration I need to be careful in my thinking about how I can stimulate cause change in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can love more and produce more good deeds in their life. We need to know each other. We have to bear with one another, encourage one another, spur one another on as we were just looking at right there, and so on and so forth. This is what we call real life on life. This is what we call real discipleship happening at an organic level. Life groups provide the encouragement, the correction, accountability that keeps God's word front and center in our lives. And I'll be honest with you, it takes some time to get there. When you first show up on your first life group meeting, don't expect to be down deep in the weeds in some of these things. They develop over time through relationship, through the building of trust with each other. And, and thus we purpose to move our bodies twice a month into a place with other brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can do these things. It's what we do. One more good quote from C.J. Mahaney. He said, simply reading your Bible and listening to good preaching won't make you like Jesus. I feel like I need to read that again. Simply reading your Bible and listening to good preaching won't make you like Jesus. 
Though each of these disciplines is essential for the Christian life and each is a vital means of grace, neither is sufficient in itself. In fact, biblical knowledge is potentially deceptive if obedience doesn't take place. The purpose of the mirror is to provoke adjustment. The purpose of Scripture is to provoke obedience and produce definitive change in our lives. James, the half-brother of Jesus and the author of the letter of James, tells us that those who merely listen to the word of God Sunday after Sunday but fail to make application of the word of God in their lives will experience an increasing degree of self-deception rather than progressive sanctification. And yet isn't it interesting that they deceive only themselves? Everyone else around knows full well that they're merely listeners and not doers because we get to see their lives in action. Again, teaching and preaching are the domain of Sunday mornings. But life groups is the domain for life-on-life discipleship. And as an elder at Jinx Bible Church who's going to have to give an account for your soul, I'm going to splash as much of this water on you this morning, and I'm going to encourage you to move your bodies into a life group whereby you can be life-on-life with other brothers and sisters who love God, who love his word, and desire to live according to a biblical worldview and hold each other accountable in the process, weep with each other when need be, laugh when there's time to laugh, confess sins when there's time to need to confess sins, to carry each other's burdens for as long as we have to, to be patient with one another as long as we have to, Because God's people aren't those who shoot their own wounded, as has been reported. God's people are those who pick up their wounded, throw them across their shoulder, and carry them on their back as far as they have to carry them on their back because we know that we have won. And we know we have a true enemy, an adversary, the devil, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy and to take you out. And if I have to throw you on my back and carry you for the next year, to see God's glory break through in your life, then to the glory of God, that's what I'm going to do. And I know a plethora of men in this church, every elder, every deacon who would do the same. Without question. Without exception. There's a um, there's, there's a bit of a culture in Christendom today that echoes something the opposite of what I've been talking about this morning. It echoes a little bit of the voice of Cain. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, 
I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, I, I love the Lord's question here. Where is Abel, your brother? Matthew Henry said, a charitable concern for our brethren as their keepers is a great duty which is strictly required of us, but is generally neglected by us. Those who are unconcerned in the affairs of their brethren and take no care when they have opportunity to prevent their hurt in their bodies, goods, or good name, especially in their souls, do, in fact, speak Cain's language. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. We need to know where each other is at. We are our brothers and sisters keepers. Without question. A Cain-like attitude would say, I do not know. I do not care. I am not my brother's keeper. I'm just taking care of myself. Me, Jesus, and me. The Holy Trinity. We need one another. Real quick passage here. Well, here's a proof of it right there. Another quick passage. Notice this. God has so composed the body of Christ, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care. The members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, what happens? All members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice together. I think that's a passage that just shows us the connectivity and the closeness there is to be in the body of Christ. Amen. Galatians 6, 1, 2. Brethren, even, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You might say that the application of doing all of these things right here in each other's lives is a fulfillment of the law of Christ one to another within the body of Christ. Isn't that good? So brothers and sisters, let me splash that water one more time. Let me strongly encourage you, if you have not yet done so, to give due consideration. Consider, and consider, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. If you haven't yet, you need to move yourself into community with other brothers and sisters so that your life can be laid bare and they can bear your burdens with you, weep with you, laugh with you, rejoice with you, sing with you, and then you can know their lives as well and they can do likewise with you. Because we know the day is drawing near. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, let's take the word of God and the wisdom that comes from God's word in this area seriously. I've been doing Christian counseling since 1999. And I've seen the landscape in the Christian church strewn with lives destroyed. And almost everybody that came into my counseling and I started asking basic questions. Are you having a quiet time? No. Do you pray? No. Are you connected with a, another body? Are you connected in a life group? Are you connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ where you're accountable? No. The maverick Christian has flaming darts flying at them in every direction you can imagine in order to steal, kill, and destroy. Run your marriage, run your reputation, run your gospel testimony and witness to an onlooking world. I've seen it since 1999. I'm telling you, it's we need each other. Let's pray. Father.